1: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Thanks to modern science, we now know that our actions, thoughts, emotions, and health are all shaped by the spaces we occupy every day. A study on hospitals actually found that well-designed environments can reduce treatment times by 21% and pain medication usage by 59%. It's even good for business. Research suggests that good building design increases property value by 15%, and some even argue that buildings with healthy features command up to a 20% rent premium over the market rate, in addition to the savings in operational costs. Industrialized societies have historically valued speed above all else but good, thoughtful design and construction are resistant to this notion. Would you be open to another way? This is Spaces Podcast, where we aim to elevate the appreciation and understanding of the spaces we occupy every day. Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, everyone. This is Jason. Hey, guys. And you're listening to Spaces Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. Question, guys. Jason and Michelle, have you heard the phrase... By the way, there's nobody else in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> have you heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses? Of course. Duh. Jason, I don't think you know what it means. Judging by your, actually your lifestyle,
0: oh, I don't, I really don't know where we're going with that
1: one. Now. <laughs> You're way too active. Okay, uh, my wife tells me to do that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now applying this to like the built environment, when was the last time you stopped and just really enjoyed a space? Like when you walked in that space for whatever reason, just stopped you in your tracks and you just enjoyed it. A few weeks ago. Really.
0: Yeah. So I think when we're talking about legit roses, I'm not going to stop and smell roses. Like they're cool <laughs> and I'll walk right by. That's fine. But when it gets to like actually building, like yeah. I think that's why I'm in this industry anyways. I like, maybe I should have been like you should have been an architect. I like architecture a yeah. lot. So um, it was just a few weeks ago where we were in, we were in Hawaii and the hotel oh, no. that we went into, like I loved the whole open foyer that they did and yeah. everything and all the woods they used and all like I, we, I stopped. Yeah. I was like, man, this is really cool. Yeah. So I actually did that. How do you feel now? Oh, <laughs> well,
1: it's uh, I'm not surprised on the built side, okay, but, but you're a go, go, go person. yeah,
0: yeah, no, no that's you're hundred percent correct. Yeah,
1: Michelle, have you uh experienced that?
3: I'm at a loss for words. okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, of course. I mean, i I think I try really hard to be very present um, in anything that I'm doing can even come in ways when you know if I like so I cycle on the weekend so when I'm on my bike and I'm cycling down Pacific Coast Highway just taking that in and, yeah and sort of observing and taking a minute to deep to breathe deep and um recognize you know what my environment is and what I'm seeing and smelling and see seeing I already said seeing and, seeing. <laughs> and smelling, seeing and smelling yeah. Yeah. yeah um and experiencing yeah, and I'm trying to think of of a recent example where I walked into a space. I know there there are times, yeah, absolutely, but I can't think of a good one. So I'm gonna, as we go through this uh, episode, I'm gonna be thinking in my head when was it and yeah. where was I.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna talk about that a little bit more. Um, Wait, gonna, can
0: I point out one thing? Yeah, when Michelle says she's on the edge of her seat, she is on the edge of her seat, and she has the like best posture I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Like, truly, I'm like slumped shoulders and like you know feel like I was probably beat by whatever. But she's always like at attention, shoulders back, like
1: like perfect
0: posture.
3: Well, thanks, Jason. You're
1: welcome. (laughs) Uh, So today we uh, we have a guest that's going to join us to to discuss and get into this a little bit more. And discuss the concept of the slow space movement. Uh, She's the co-founder of Omont Plum, an architecture, interiors, and construction studio passionate about improving people's lives through the spaces they create. You can see their work at omontplum.com. She is also the co-founder and executive director of the Slow Space Movement and Slow Space Institute. The slow space movement is slow food for the built environment a grassroots movement of architects, designers, and builders, and artisans to promote buildings that are good, clean, and fair. The Slow Space Institute is a newly established research, education, and advocacy arm of the movement. And you can learn more info at slowspace.org. Meta Omant. (laughs) Meta, thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh really looking forward to this conversation. Me personally, your mission and sort of the the kind of principles and goals that you uh that you guys are laying out for the slow space movement uh really resonates with me personally as an architect. Uh I know it probably resonates a lot with uh, many architects, but um wanted to to get into this conversation a little bit. Uh outside of your professional bio (laughs) can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your your firm anything that may not be covered in that
2: oh sure um let's see about well i'm a registered architect um my firm is with my husband and partner um so he's andrew plum and we specialize in homes um so you know one and two unit homes single family homes so that's that's the focus of our work
1: okay uh, and it's uh, mostly based in uh, Boston area.
2: Uh, it's Boston area, but we do uh, we've done quite a few projects in Austin, Texas. We've done uh, a project in New York. Uh, you know, working on one in Whistler. So, uh, kind of all over.
3: Cool. Not yet in California.
2: Nothing in California. I can nope. be your first client. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. I might have a little competition though.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm busy.
0: I'm busy. <laughs> I'm really busy When and it comes to friends need... and family, I'm busy. like that's
1: how it works, right? Good uh, policy. Yeah, it's smart, right? <laughs> yeah. So to understand a little bit more about where we are with uh, this new movement that Meta is kind of spearheading, uh, we're gonna go back in time. Society's perception of time, including the amount of time it takes to bring a building to market, began to shift with the Industrial Revolution. After the Great Depression, President Roosevelt enacted a plan of recovery, introducing a series of programs, public work projects, financial reform, and regulations. By the end of 1945, millions of families had stable employment and access to capital. Five million homes were needed post World War II, And the Federal Housing Association stepped in to subsidize builders to mass-produce homes. Through lessons from the growing automotive industry, the way construction was executed
5: rapidly evolved. And we shall build hundreds of thousands of homes during this post-war return to peacetime activities.
1: This is an advertisement from the Great Lakes Steel
5: Corporation. If the predictions of private interests and government agencies are correct, we can realistically expect to build over a million homes a year for a three to five year period. Homes for those who want something better. New homes, which we can expect to be the best products of the new scientific age and at the lowest possible cost. Now, the cost of constructing almost anything can be cut by standardizing on materials and by mass production. America's outstanding example of this is, of course, transportation. Standardizing on models and mass production of them has lowered the cost and provided better cars for America. Likewise, improved building materials, standardization of these materials and mass production of them can make possible better homes at lower costs for post-war American home builders.
1: Construction now had new benchmarks for speed, efficiency, and cost savings, building at a rate of 30 houses a day. Speculative construction would later spike again, particularly in the 1980s and 90s, when the deregulation of the financial sector and a growth in international financing led to another construction boom. This period introduced the McMansion. Large, mass-produced homes donned with a mishmash of architectural symbols to evoke connotations of wealth and to attract buyers. Named after McDonald's, Some consider this construction the architectural equivalent of fast food and it kind of makes sense because McDonald's, one of the nation's leading fast food chains, was also influenced by the efficient and low cost strategies of the automotive industry. Opened on April 15, 1955, McDonald's had a simple, efficient format that produced huge quantities of food at low prices. Their basic hamburger cost about half the price of competing restaurants. The self-service counter eliminated the need for wait staff, and hamburgers were cooked ahead of time, wrapped and warmed under heat lamps. When advertising, they catered to children with Ronald McDonald, the hamburger happy clown. In retrospect, many people today considered their first ad in 1962 a bit disturbing. Describing Ronald McDonald as appearing like he quote, came from a dumpster, And is wearing a bunch of trash.
5: Introducing the world's newest, silliest, and hamburger eatingest clown Ronald McDonald!
1: Weatherman Willard Scott plays Ronald McDonald as he emerges from darkness on screen with unkempt hair, white face paint, and an enormous painted red smile. His red and yellow vertical striped suit is accessorized with a box full of food on his head, a quote magic tray of food on his waist, and a cup on his nose.
5: I know we're going to be friends too because I like to do everything boys and girls like to do. Especially when it comes to eating those delicious McDonald's hamburgers. A magic tray here keeps me well supplied. McDonald's hamburgers, french fries, and milkshake. Watch for me on TV. We'll have lots of fun. He's the
1: happy clown. A the is
5: his favorite place in town.
1: McDonald's business strategies dramatically changed the food industry for years. In 1986, a McDonald's franchise was opening in Rome, and Italian journalist Carlo Petrini was outraged. Concerned for the future of food culture and the working-class of Rome, Petrini rallied his friends and community to take a stand against this global industrialization of food. Instead of picketing with signs, he armed the protesters with bowls of penne pasta as they defiantly shouted, We "We don't want want fast food, food. we We want want slow food! Petrini realized that it was crucial to generate a movement He wanted to preserve taste, support small growers and artisanal producers, protect the environment, and encourage biodiversity. And on December 10th, 1989, the slow food movement was established and endorsed by delegates from 15 countries condemning the fast life and its effects on society and culture. An excerpt from the Slow Food Manifesto reads, We are enslaved by speed and have all succumbed to the same insidious virus, fast life, which disrupts our habits, pervades the privacy of our homes, and forces us to eat fast foods. A firm defense of quiet material pleasure is the only way to oppose the universal folly of fast life. May suitable doses of guaranteed sensual pleasure and slow, long-lasting enjoyment preserve us from the contagion of the multitude who mistake frenzy for efficiency. Speculative construction, mass production, and McMansions too have their critics. Common grievances are poor quality due to rapid pace of construction, minimal thought into design, and low-grade materials that are unhealthy, not sustainable, and will deteriorate quicker, leading to costly repairs. As far back as the 1960s, public concerns about environment and dangerous impurities all around us began to emerge, but the societal preference for speed and inexpensive products at that time outweighed those concerns. Today, society is much more concerned about quality, business ethics, motives, and methods. In 2015, Nielsen polled 30,000 consumers in 60 countries around the world. They found that 66% of consumers were willing to pay extra for sustainable, ethical, and quality products. Moreover, 73% of millennials were willing to pay extra for these products. The slow approach has inspired a change beyond food. Slow cities, slow aging, slow religion, slow cinema, slow education, slow sex, slow medicine, slow fashion, slow parenting, and slow travel. Is it time that we revisit how we design and build? So Meta, uh, tell us a little bit about slow space. How would you sort of uh summarize what slow space is about
2: okay so there's two levels that we like to think about it um and one is our um one is really our design approach and design philosophy so um slow space is a place that fosters being in the present it fosters connection sensory engagement it's really a place where you can feel as though time slows down it's a place to breathe. Uh, it's a place to be and a refuge um, from our busy, busy lives. And as Omat Plum, that's what we aspire to do with all of our projects: is to create slow space. And that's really our life's work. Um, you know, we're still we're still figuring out what that means exactly, um, but we're very excited about the possibilities of it. Yeah. Um, And then on another level, we've tried to make it a little bit more practical uh, and something that can be promoted uh, across the industry, and that's the slow space movement. Mm -hmm. And that's based on the principles of good, clean, and fair. Um, And we, we borrowed that and modeled the slow space movement on the slow food movement and adapted their approach to our industry, which hasn't had a slow movement in it, although we think it needs one desperately. And so the principles of good, clean and fair, I can talk about, um, you know, more pragmatically. Um, you know, good means beautiful, means having a deep connection to nature. Uh, it means having that sensory experience uh, and sensory engagement. Clean means using non-toxic natural materials um things that are healthy for people and the planet and fair means um you know fair access to uh to things like housing and um other things that go with it like uh you know decent schools and things like that as well as fair labor and production Uh, so in the you know the building Uh, The building industry uses a lot of exploited labor, honestly, Uh, and that's in this country. And then that's not to mention if we drill down into the supply chain uh, and where where all our materials are coming from. You know, we have fair trade coffee, but, you know, we can never drink as much coffee, uh, as you know, as lumber that we use for, for our buildings. And a lot of that is harvested by slaves in third world countries.
0: Yeah. So h- hearing all that sounds really good for me. Now I come from an operation side, right? Where I'm dealing with direct costs and all these kind of things all the time. And even our builder partners right now, everything is lower cost, lower cost, lower cost, right. To make things budget. So I think ideally, like I love hearing what you're saying, but everything I keep hearing about that, like the dollar signs to me keep going up. And I have to imagine that's one of the biggest things you guys come up against. Um, How do you, you know, what is the story for that? How do you counteract that? Or is it really like, look, this is just a different piece of the market that we're, you know, servicing and it doesn't really go to the rest of us. Or, I mean, like I said, I'm sure you've come up against that topic numerous times.
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I love using um, slow food as the analogy and, you know, buying organic produce is more expensive than mm-hmm. buying non-organic produce. And, you know, back in the day when they started, which was 30 years ago, it was probably really, really expensive. Sure, um, but sure. now it's become a little bit more mass market. And there's there is a bigger market for it because there's a demand. I like the idea of getting to the consumer and educating them about what is the real cost. Okay, so there's the dollar sign. Sure. But then there's your health impact. Right. There's the impact to the environment. And then there's the impact to the workers who are actually subsidizing your home with their own lives. Right. In many cases. And so it's like the lost um,
0: wages is, is what you're saying in that regard, right? Like lost the lo- wages,
2: yeah. injuries, um, sure. you know, exploitation, all that kind of stuff. So someone's paying for this somewhere.
0: Sure, absolutely. And I think and it just gets back to, you know, usually the end users like, okay, I understand, but I don't want to pay for it, right?
2: Totally. Yeah. And so that's why we need a movement because we need to all start talking about it, particularly as architects because we're on the front end of sure. Educating clients and specifying products, and so you know, yeah, we come up, we have these conversations all the time with our clients. You know, they want to use vinyl windows, and we tell them, no, oh, you know, <laughs> here and here's why. Um, and and you know, and and sometimes they still opt for it, right? Um, but we we try to we try to have those conversations, but we need to be having those conversations like you know a thousandfold over and over. And I think another part of it is that we've all gotten very used to inexpensive products, sure. like being able to buy a lot of cheap stuff. Yep. And I think that the tide on that is shifting also. Um, you know, there's uh, there's slow food, there's slow fashion, there's, you know, slow travel, like less but better, fewer things, smaller houses, but higher quality, thinking about the long term.
1: That is a phenomenal point. And I think we got into this situation where we were into the McMansion idea and everybody thought like, that's what you have to have is that, you know, giant house that's 2,500 plus square feet. And you were able to do that in a lot of locations, like for us in Riverside Mm -hmm. and different areas like that. But um, especially now in Southern California, we're getting tight on land smaller well uh, i mean the other thing too just
0: product wise you know going back to that like even something we're talking about from a business planning standpoint with our companies i've been telling square footage is dropping like square footage is dropping and this is not in the just like in the you know present future we're going to see this this is the foreseeable future yeah only because they have to get the cost per square foot up yeah they have to get density up Mm -hmm. and so ultimately people aren't going to have much of a chance what's interesting though is it makes it almost more affordable for other parts of the buyer's market, right? Yeah. Because it's a smaller house. There's only so far you can push that cost per square foot. Yeah. But I, I agree. And so that I think is the key right there where you're, you're getting, you know, that's probably going to be a marketing thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to use that as a bad term. Right. But at some no, point no. it's going to be higher quality, you know, small smaller footprint, higher quality, however you, however you said that, I'm sorry. Um, but that, that to me makes more sense in that manner than it does trying to sell somebody on, you know, or completely organic or however we're going to say that, you know, for the home build, because that cost is going to more than double, I'd imagine, for a conventional build in comparison. Yeah. And Michelle, you
1: guys are going uh, infill, so you're starting to see that probably less is more sort of idea while still battling costs.
3: Well, I think in, in California, and I imagine Boston is very similar, you know, we run into just an affordability problem and so the affordability issue in and of itself uh, forces smaller denser product and you know first time home buyers are just happy to get into the into a house versus renting and and putting money you know into someone else's pocket versus building equity for themselves because they have home ownership and so if it means they're buying a 1200 or 1300 square foot you know a small lot detached home or even even a townhome they're happy to do that because it it provides them that opportunity to to have home ownership yeah
2: i think there might also be a kind of trickle down effect like sorry to use that terrible <laughs> term but you know where you can start at the high end market you need to build a market for these um for these ideas and for these materials and you know for alternatives and so you can start at the high end there and then it does start to filtered down. I mean, I know that now I can get FSC certified wood at Home Depot, you know, yeah, like yeah. that wasn't possible five years ago, you know, and I can get at the regular old grocery store, I can get organic, you know, organic stuff. So at the beginning, it was a totally niche market and then it starts to penetrate more deeply.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. So Meta, what is the, how would you describe your, your process or approach to to implementing slow space design
2: um so it's really um it's very holistic Mm -hmm. so one of our core values is really holistic thinking and Mm -hmm. so it's it's in everything that we do you know it's in our design process it's in the materials that we select Um, we also do construction now so you know it's in our vetting process for subcontractors and you know, we're not we're not hitting 100% across all marks, but we're trying to hit hit somewhere on that spectrum on all fronts. Um, and we know that it's a process that will continue to evolve and improve. And we're trying to just you know do the best we can within the within the market that we have now.
1: Curious if it bleeds into your relationship with the uh, client. Is it sort of a more connected quality relationship that you're developing with, uh, your clients as well?
2: That's what we're hoping for. Um, and so we're hoping to find clients that share our values, um, and that, you know, believe what we believe, Mm -hmm. uh, and that we can be partners in this, um, and in doing the right thing. Um, and that we're, providing great value to them and, and they trust our expertise and believe in what we're doing uh, so we can really work together on it. Mm-hmm.
3: So are you finding with your clients that they are seeking you out uh, because of your philosophy and your mantra for life and just kind of what, you're, what you stand for, what your architecture firm stands for?
2: Yes, that's starting to happen. Because we're very um, we're very open about it. Uh, you know, we're very open about our history. I'm very open about my um, my MS diagnosis. Like on our website, our story and everything. That's um, like the
0: first thing I saw, actually, right on your website. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And so we want to connect with people. Um. And so and we want people who feel like they have a connection with us. It just it's so much more rewarding and satisfying. So yeah. Now that we're, you know, really very public about all of our ideas, um, we are starting to get people that come to us for that reason. And if they don't, then in the first call, I'm telling them, like, here are our values. You know, here's what we're all about. You know, is that of interest to you? You know, if not, then it might be a little bit, uh, might be a little bit rocky.
3: Do you have a sense of what the delta is in the cost of Going slow movement versus the cost of going with just a high end custom architecture firm or design build firm. What is is there? I I, I imagine there's X. a premium, yeah. right? Like so, the question: if we took it to the food, right? It would be, it would be what's the delta between shopping at Stater Brothers or Vons or Dude? I can tell you this um, versus for, shopping at a Whole Foods
0: organic strawberries for like nine bucks a carton at Costco versus like four bucks. We didn't bucks mean a carton.
3: literally,
2: Jason. No, but
0: but. <laughs> But I'm assuming it's a 2 or 3x type cost thing. That would be my guess.
2: So I would compare it not with other um, high-end architectural services because I think that those are all right up there and there's not much of a premium difference. You know, like if we're talking about um, insulation choices, so talking about clean material, you know, spray foam insulation, which – I believe it's highly toxic. Mm. Um, it's also very expensive. Mm. So the alternatives that I'm going to propose, like dense packed yeah, no. cellulose, yeah. might actually be cheaper or on par with with what other people are specifying. But it's the difference between um, custom architectural services and design versus mass market sure. mass market housing. That's the three times difference yeah. right there.
1: Yeah yeah so it's not necessarily um, just higher quality materials it's about the health trade off that you're looking for overall um, which could potentially come in cheaper
2: it could potentially, but it'll probably equal out or maybe there's a ten percent premium on the uh, on the better materials but at the price point that we're talking about custom architectural design, it's quite unaffordable yeah. um, from the get-go yeah.
0: that makes sense
3: so could your movement the slow movement as it applies to architecture be applied on a larger scale with public home builders for example with the Lenars of the world and the richmond americans of the world or is it for the time being really reserved for a more gosh i hate to use the word privileged but just you know a wealthier <laughs> oh, it's the 1%, like a yes yeah right so and that's
0: i'm looking at these projects it's the one percent i mean yeah I mean, they like, are they're, my clients they're yep, beautiful
3: yeah, so Absolutely. how do we, so how do you scale, or maybe you don't want to scale because the whole point is you're slowing down and it's not about quantity, it's about quality. But I, I when I went to your website, for, I mean, first I was just really, the That's quality awesome. of what you've done is really, really cool stuff. But then I think, yeah, we're like, you know, in this capitalistic world that we live in and and I think America's only become more capitalistic than it <laughs> ever was and, um, and there's pros and cons to that, but just in this kind of environment that we're in and it's always about, how do we grow the business? How do we acquire more? How do we make more money? How do we, you know, win more awards, right? So, it, it, which is so Did you contrary say awards
0: or wars? Because I no, think no. both of them awards,
3: go awards, <laughs> recognition. You know, how do we get more recognition? So, in that environment, you know, it, that's that's contrary to just slow, like slowing down, doing less, sitting still, um, taking deep breaths, right? That that capitalism mantra is very different than. Kind of the slow movement so how do we how do you reconcile that
2: well i i, I want to do exactly what you're suggesting because i do want to make this available to regular people and not just the one percent because that's fair
5: <laughs> you know this is
2: i'm talking about good spaces that make you feel good and i want more people to be able to have the opportunity to have that and for me it's not so much about growing my business and making more money. It's about having a bigger impact. So we are looking at ways to create mass market, slow space homes. Hmm. And we do want to get into development and we do want to propose the alternative to the McMansion. You know, Hmm. the McMansion is the McDonald's of (laughs) architecture. That's why it's called a McMansion, right? (laughs) That's the fast and cheap. Um, And we want to provide the slow food version of that. Um, And yes, it's going to cost a little bit more. You know, it may have a ten to you know fifteen percent price premium, but it's still going to. It's still not at the level of custom design. And so, our big goal is to become like the 21st century Eichler of the Northeast, Hmm. and be um, building architect-designed modern homes that are in welcoming, inclusive communities. I mean, Eichler had, uh, he was very progressive in his thinking too about who he was selling his homes to. And he had a buyback policy for any African-American family who bought his home and didn't feel welcome in his community Hmm. at a time during suburbanization when all the suburbs were excluding black people unilaterally. And so it, that's a really, really interesting role model that, you know, for California, like great success. Yeah, like, I, he didn't make a lot of money, but it was very successful as far as <laughs> if people wanted it.
0: You know, it's interesting because I live in Orange. And so there's Eichler all around, you know, where I live. And I still will go walk through those neighborhoods because it's just it's awesome. I mean, like you almost want to go recreate that in a lot of ways and, you know, I mean, yeah. we're going to do a remodel and stuff like that. So, yeah. but it's, you know,
1: that, that'd be great. And it I wanted to mention really quick, we touched on that meta as, as far as uh, kind of the development of the suburbs and how black people and specifically were sort of uh, ruled out of moving into these homes. It's called redlining. Uh, if you want to yeah. look more into it, but Uh, We also touched on that in an episode, uh, our housing episode, Um, that history section kind of outlined that for anyone that wants to listen to a little bit about it, but definitely encourage you to do some more research and dig into tons of information about that. So uh, one thing, I wanted to jump back a little bit because we didn't really touch on it um, in your bio or anything, but you were diagnosed with MS that was 2002 correct
2: yeah i was in architecture school
1: oh wow is yeah. two part question how has that affected uh your design and how has that how did that encourage you to go towards this slow space movement concept
2: yeah so um So I was diagnosed. So I started having symptoms right midway through architecture school and, you know, the stress and the pressure of graduate school um, really brought it on. And, you know, by the time I graduated a few weeks later, I got the diagnosis. And so I was really starting my career with this. um, Yeah, this diagnosis that I didn't have any idea what it was going to mean, what it was going to do for me, you know, but I knew I was sick. I knew I was burned out already and I was sick. Um, And so, you know, I still wanted to with, with my partner um, uh, with my husband, we still wanted to do really good work, um, but we wanted to have a good life and make a good living too, which um, you know, for those of you in the architecture profession, you know, is, is quite a lofty goal. (laughs) Um, And, So, uh, so we had to just find different ways of doing things. So we didn't realize it it took like 10 or 15 years to realize there were other people doing the same thing that we were trying to do, like trying to live a slow life, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get out of the rat race and that kind of thing. Um, and then it was cool to realize, oh, Hey, you know, other people are thinking about this too. It's not, not just because of some kind of medical diagnosis, but everyone's feeling that burnout and So that encouraged a kind of lifestyle that um, that led us to learn more about the slow movement. And and then when we started thinking about um, about the slow movement and there's a component to slow food that most people don't realize, but a really big, important aspect of it is that spending time around the table. So that community and connection of like cooking good food and eating together, that experiential side of things. That really resonated with the kind of architecture that we love. Yeah. Um, and so we realized that there was this real um, uh, symbiosis with uh, with these ideas, and what we really loved about experiencing architecture—the phenomenology, um, the senses—you know, not just designing for the visual sense, but designing for the sense of touch, smell. Um, you know, auditory, all of those things. Um, And so that's really how we came into that idea.
1: Oh, no, that totally makes sense. I think this resonates with, it resonates with me for sure, Uh, Jason, Michelle, I don't know how you guys have perceived it, but Meta, do you think that millennials, because that's kind of our technically our generation, I'm on the back side of that, just so we're clear. Like I'm barely inside of that. <laughs> yeah. Do you think this is gonna be really uh, an attractive uh, option for millennials and and Gen Z actually?
2: Yeah, well, since I'm I'm technically Gen X, I would I would, uh, I would ac- ask you that. Yeah. What do you millennials think? Does yeah. it resonate with you?
1: It definitely does with me. Uh, part of it is the architectural training, I think. But I don't know, kind of, how would you guys answer that,
0: Jason? Do you want to jump on that one or you want me to dive on the grenade first?
3: I don't know that it's necessarily a demographic thing about, a demographic in terms of, of what age group you sit in, right? I think it's more just society is changing, right? That you see more, like when you think about commercial spaces, like public markets now, food halls, um, You know, pop up markets or pop up shops, Mm -hmm. Um, just the way that we sort of experience the world is shifting. And I think certainly millennials are less about material of, you know, acquiring. They're more about acquiring experiences and and less about acquiring things. Um, You guys travel nonstop. Yeah, so I travel all.
1: The, they literally in, have a visa for U.S. Basically,
3: <laughs> right. And and you know, I love traveling and I love seeing the world. And and every time I do travel, I'm reminded of why we don't need a bunch of things um, inside of our house. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's so much of a millennial thing, but more of just the way that kind of the cultural shift that we're seeing here in the United States, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the coasts. Um, so.
0: Yeah. Um. Like, I like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I like things, but I don't really like accruing things necessarily, right? Yeah. But one thing I think has learned, that I've learned is I am definitely a go, go, go person. I'm that, I'm that part of production and everything else where it's like, I want to go, I want to do more quicker and better. Yeah. Um, But that's, but what I have learned from that is my safe space is my home. So, you know, coming back, I think that really resonates with me about that. And, you know, like Demetrius and I have talked about it, even though we don't have a McMansion. I mean, we're going to get closer in size to that, um, you know, when I do an edition that we're going to do. But it, just listening to you about, about spray foam, like I'm a huge fan of spray foam, right? Because of just how well it seals out and does all that kind of stuff. And then I and, and I never thought about it but it is toxic as hell. Yeah. And the funny thing was, you know, yeah, you... two
2: guys, two guys show up in hazmat suits to yeah, install. Right. No, 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 You're, uh,
0: completely. You're you completely, yeah. I completely agree. And so it's funny hearing that because then I'm sitting there going, I'm doing that because I want to block out the heat. Mm-hmm. So then I've got heat baking, basically hazmat material style. I mean, so yeah, bingo. Right. So she, I don't know if people can see that, but she's like doing one of these kind of things. Yeah. not that anybody else can see that I'm doing it either, but not, but nonetheless. But so, yeah, so it's just funny because we've gone completely to, and this is where I think the big rub is, my wife has got it ingrained in my brain now. I mean, we make most of our food. We do all that kind of stuff. We try not to eat out that often unless I want pizza, but it's like one of those things where we buy the organic, you yeah. know what I mean? And whether or not it's really organic I can't tell you but I'm paying more for it and it's got the green thing so we're buying that
3: <laughs> it does taste better though honestly Shut it up. really it does, does. no like, I you guys swear are whack, it man. does get organic chicken and then <laughs> go do. buy non-organic chicken and you will tell it one right. will be rubbery we'll and one you will can actually come over and taste like, and eat, like chicken. tell you
0: what we'll finally do that at, you can fly down from Boston you can come to my house I'll do a whole no, smoke I know, up
2: I know it tastes so, better so it's
0: <laughs> interesting because we have definitely made that shift and so I like the idea of building more green suitable and, and you know I can't really call it organic. I don't know what you what what the term was that we're using.
2: Slow. We're using slow.
0: Slow. So yeah, we're going slow. So, you know, for the first time in my life, I'll say I'm doing something slow, but (laughs) um, but truly that's something that we're looking at doing and it does resonate me. Now resonate with me. Now here's the rub though. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say this, you know, on on, you know, kinda on edge a little bit. I, I can afford that. Yeah. You follow yeah. what I'm saying? And that's and I think that's the big issue, right? And and I think that's what you're trying to bring to the forefront. I can I can make the conscious decision to afford the extra ten or fifteen percent to do that, yeah. that other people may not be able to do. And I'm not saying that from a hierarchical, you know, standpoint. That's just the reality. Mm-hmm. And so there's probably gonna come I'll probably be that guy too that's like no screw it I'll take the final windows like I don't care I don't want I don't know what the the substitute would be for that if it was just you know natural wood Word. but yeah wood I'll yeah work. natural wood okay so because I'm looking at the longevity and everything else and I'm going I have think you know being a flooring guy I know what happens to wood and everything else when they get subjected to elements so I'll probably do that but you're she's she's pointing okay what do you got
2: <laughs> I can convince you okay you can convince final me. Win- vinyl windows even the best ones they won't last more than 20 or 30 years i live in a hundred year old house and i still have the same original wood windows as long as you take care of them uh-huh. you maintain them they will last a hundred or more years
0: all right i'll buy that we'll talk when i get going down. <laughs> you, you and Demetrius can corner me because he's going to be the one that you know draws it up or has already drawn it up for me more or less but yeah. um but it, it, i i like the idea and going back to what i'm saying because my house isn't that big now i'm only in 1800 feet and I don't understand needing all of this other stuff. So, what we're really adding is a, a proper bedroom for my wife and, and I and whatever. But just not- for
5: your wife? <laughs>
0: Primarily. <laughs> You should see the freaking closet.
3: <laughs> she doesn't want
5: to be <laughs> She's with like,
0: I need a bigger closet. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, wow, you don't have that much stuff. Like, anyway. so But ultimately, the idea being, we don't need these huge spaces. And yeah. I want to come home to a place. And the reason why we haven't moved is because I feel great when we come home to our house. Yeah. And we're outside people. Our doors are open, all that kind of stuff and, and whatever. So that, to me, does very much so resonate. And I like the idea of it. But no joke. You said that. I'm going, Suck, it is like. It's not good for you. You know what I mean? The stuff that they're using. I totally buy that. And I never honestly thought about that part of it. Yeah. Never thought about that part of it.
2: And and most most people haven't. And so really just bringing it up. I just need more people bringing it up. You know, just uh, making the point. And like really, I'm just making – like I'm no chemical engineer. I don't know what (laughs) – it what's in spray foam. I just see the guys in the suits and I can figure yeah, it out.
0: That's legit. Yeah. I totally understand. That makes sense. You got, you, know? you got gas masks on and everything. Something's up. Yeah. totally.
2: Yeah. And then I used the test of like, okay, like how much would I freak out if my kid was gnawing on that building material? Well, mm. if it was a piece of wood, I wouldn't be freaking out that much. Yeah. Okay. But if it was a piece of pressure treated or if it was like they were gnawing on the foam, you know, then I would be really freaking out. So how inert are these things? And just common sense, like let's just use stuff that we've used for thousands of years that we know works. Because the problem is people may think that this stuff is regulated, but it's not. New building products come on the market totally unregulated. We don't find out until 30 years later that it's asbestos, it's lead, it's causing cancer. Honestly, we are guinea pigs for the petrochemical industry.
0: Well, and, and, and something I'll throw to that too, we may or may not know what those materials do to us later down the road. And I can tell you this because I've seen it happen as well. We don't know how they perform either. You know what I mean? They do that's these right. so-called performance testing and all this kind of stuff that's done in a lab in a controlled environment. You put these things out in the real world and I deal with technical people on this all the time. And they're like, yeah, we haven't really seen that happen yet. So we don't even have like a solution. You know what I mean? But yet that problem is now popping up everywhere. Like yeah. I, exactly. I totally agree. We know what wood's going to do, right? I mean, we know what wood's going to do. We
2: know how to work with wood. And so every every year the trade shows for the industry, you know, they got all these brand new products, you know, and I don't want to sound like a Luddite. I just want to have a little bit of, um, I just want to be a little bit uh, cautious about the new latest and greatest thing.
3: So for the slow movement as it relates to architecture, is there something that is different in the design, or is it just in the choice of materials?
2: Absolutely, there's something that's different in the design. And, you know, this is something that we we can try to generalize for a more widespread uh, movement. What do we mean by good? Um, and, you know, we're trying to write a manifesto now that's, um, that's general, that all architects could adopt if they were interested. Um, and we think like the basic, the basic basics are a deep connection to nature. I mean, there is something so um, rejuvenating and elemental about being connected to nature and whether that's just a view or having natural materials or maybe you have a little water feature in your house or something like that. But I know, I'm sure we've all had the experience of just, you know, hiking in the woods or in the mountains and you just feel like you know time is standing still like you just are, feel completely different and um and i think that is so healing you know there's books about forest bathing and stuff like that but this is also common sense you know we've we've known this a forever on <laughs> so, so from a design
3: standpoint that could mean um the way that you orient a space to the outdoors or to indoor outdoor living or something to that effect
2: Exactly. Okay. It's also the way that you use natural light um, and the way that the natural light and the rhythms of the day connect to your own body's circadian rhythms. Um, and so using light in a way that helps you to wake up in the morning and then calm down and go to sleep at night and things like that. Um, so nature in lots of different forms.
3: Is your firm uh, focused at all on landscape architecture or is it just the building
2: Uh, We don't do the landscape architecture, but we're very much concerned with how that integrates into the architecture. Um, So in the same way that the, you know, mid-century architects were interested in bringing outside in and inside out, you know, we don't, we have to draw a line professionally, but that doesn't mean that we are not thinking about how the outside relates to the inside and vice versa.
1: Mm -hmm. So you guys probably bring your landscape in fairly early landscape designers that you work with.
2: Yeah. And we also like to try to spend as much time as possible on the site Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really understand uh, understand how it feels to be there and what we want to what we want to bring in, what we want to edit out in sometimes in urban situations. You edit out the neighbors and just have a view to the sky. Um, and you know, there's incredible, well, maybe on the East coast, more variety in the sky than on the West coast. So you guys have a lot of sun, but even the <laughs> cloud patterns, you know, and the shifting light and cloud patterns throughout the day is incredibly, you know, you just lay there and, and look at it. It's incredibly relaxing.
3: So have you been able to apply your model to, uh, to remodels or is it just been ground up development or new projects?
2: No, remodels too. Everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, know, there's, there's no There's no reason why um, every building can't be designed with these principles, um, and not just houses, but, you know, every, every building can think about how you use, how you bring in nature, how you use natural light, you know, how you use clean materials, uh, fair labor.
3: And so right now, your firm is doing, I think you'd mentioned, only homes. So what stops you or maybe you're already thinking about it in terms of commercial development or, you know, retail shopping, office space where people spend so much of their lives <laughs> in the office. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, they do, but statistically, they actually spend more of their time at home. And you've got to count the time that you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, um, and and then you also have to think about all the people that don't go to the office, all the, all the grandmothers and grandfathers, the kids people who work from home, the moms that stay home. So, um, the home yeah, is really, um, you know, it's really where, and where we can have the most, the biggest impact really. Um, because it's the company that decides what the, you know, what the office environment is going to be about, but it's really the homeowner that decides, you know, what is, what is my, what is my environment going to be for ourselves? So, I mean, you know, in, in the course of our uh, career, we've just become specialists in homes and we really like it. So we're happy to stay there and we think we can have we can have a really great impact. That doesn't mean that somebody else in commercial uh, architecture couldn't take the same values and apply it to that.
1: Meta, what would be a good example, a building that's out there that people may know that would, you know, immediately explain or get the idea across of what slow space movement is about?
2: Yeah. So, um, I have a few historical examples, um, stuff that I was trying to think of ones in California, but, um, the one I came up with was, um, the Schindler house.
1: Oh yeah. Okay.
2: The Schindler house, like incredible. I've visited that myself. Incredible space, you know, otherworldly experience when you're in there. Um, and, you know, it it's um, really inspired by traditional Japanese architecture, and you know the way the light is filtered uh, through into the spaces, like really, really beautiful, um, and gives you that real. You feel like you're you're kind of meditating when you're there, and so that's a great one. Another example I love to talk about is um, Grand Central Station hmm. in New York, hmm. and I think if you're a daily commuter, uh, eventually the, um, the awe wears off. But if you're yeah, for the first or second or third time that you go there, you know you come in through a rabbit's warren of, of small tunnels and stuff, and then you pop into that big main space that is so voluminous and so full of light. The proportions are yeah, just awesome. amazing that you're stopped mm-hmm. dead in your tracks, and you just you see people in the middle of this space just standing there. And sometimes you just see people, they just sit right down in the middle of the open floor and they just sit right down in the middle of the space and they're just hanging out. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's that kind of experience of awe. you You get that a lot in sacred spaces, too, churches or yeah. you know synagogues yeah. and mosques. you know, it's it's giving you that sense of pause. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, And so I think that's another great example because normally people would think about it as something where, Like, yeah, you're rushing through and you're going to your commute, but there are just as many people that are just just standing there looking around.
0: You know what's funny? I'm really glad that you said churches because I do that a lot when I go to places if we're we're traveling and and seeing something or even when you go to like really, you know, weddings and stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm churches today suck <laughs> like like truly like if you think about it because it's become so commercialized yeah that it's in these huge you know basically like an arena-ish arena ish like environment and that sucks i mean like you because you do i agree with you and i think because the idea behind it is that you stop and you you really pay the attention you should to what you're you know what you're there to do and we don't have like the big stained glass the big volume ceilings anymore like mm-hmm. and I, I realized i was brought up Catholic. So it's a little bit different, but ideally like those churches were, um, Boston's littered with them. You know what I mean? Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean,
0: it's amazing and that's a really good point. And, and come to think of it, I pay far more attention when I'm in a beautiful space like that. than I do when I go to like, we're going to a Lutheran church now and I, and I like our church, but it is nothing like some of the ones we used to go to.
1: Nothing. Yeah. We're going to do an episode on churches. I don't, I haven't decided if we're going to squeeze it in this year or, Doing next year, but we're gonna definitely sit down and talk about that one too. But another one that I thought of, Meta, was the Sulk Institute.
2: Oh, totally!
1: It's uh, it's have have you guys been, Jason and Michelle? I have no idea what it is. I have is. no
3: idea what it is. It's, I'm about to Google it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's in um La Jolla here okay. in California. Uh, it's a research facility, and it is I I can't even describe when you walk into the the kind of courtyard space. And you get this clear shot to the ocean, and there's this uh, water trough down the middle of it that sort of visually sort of connects to the ocean. It's just this amazing sight and snapshot when you walk into the site. Um, a and, lot of La Jolla is like that. They got yeah. a lot of
0: really awesome
1: spaces.
2: Yeah,
0: in La Jolla. Yeah. yeah,
1: truly.
2: And, uh, and all all the work by Louis Kahn <clears throat> is yeah. all low space. I mean, there's an icon for you. Frank he's one of, my, Wright, he's one of my he's one of my top three. Totally. Totally. Um the um uh the Kimball Art Museum. hmm Slow space, amazing.
3: Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about just the relationship between what you are putting on paper and then how you find the contractor and the subcontractors who can execute on the slow. That's a good
0: point. Especially with locationally on based on the slow right? movement,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, so um and that is one of the reasons that we decided to start our own construction company so that we can have more control over that, uh, that kind of stuff. But we, um, we vet our subcontractors, um, you know, for example, like demolition guys. Um, and this, this is on the point of fair. Demolition contractors frequently use a lot of day laborers. So we don't allow de- day laborers on our job. Hmm. Day laborers, that's just a guy, you know, picked up a bunch of a bunch of guys at the Home Depot or at the local uh, corner store and was paying them under the table and they're off the books. So we make sure that our subcontractors are um, are fairly paying all of their workers, not using day laborers. Um, you know, obviously, in the material selections, we're specifying all of that in the um, in the architecture. And then occasionally we'll, we'll come across, you know, especially guys who carpenters and guys who work with wood, they're all about slow and all (laughs) about working with that material. And the are they charging you hourly. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, they're all about um, the craftsmanship, right. And trying to find those people that are interested in keeping craft alive, you know, and that's so much about, um, that's so much of the slow movement as well. And it's like, and I think that dovetails beautifully with like, you were asking about millennials, like, you know, maker, maker culture and that kind of thing. It, that's craft. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to keep those people um, employed so that we don't lose all of that, um, all of that knowledge. You know, the way buildings are designed and built these days, it's for unskilled labor. Yeah. And we are losing Agreed. the ability to build anything of quality. Um, and so, you know, I think that's another major selling point, you know, connecting with local artisans and craftspeople.
0: And I, and I hate to do this, but that's where the cost starts to move though. You know oh, it what totally I mean? Does. It just, it, because that's, you're right. I mean, production is built. I like, I don't care what trade I've got. One, two, three, four, five, six trades that, that I get to watch over. None of them can cross over into the other trade. Yeah. Whereas whereas you used to be at a time where you would call it, you know, finished carpenter, right? Finnish carpenter could do flooring. He could do trim. He could do cabinets. He could do whatever it is you put in windows. He could do all of it. You know what I mean? Really, he yeah. was like the he was like the the Swiss army knife of, of construction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now sure. he shoots encasing and baseboards. <laughs> like truly. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you get into yeah. a production environment, that's what he does. He yeah. hangs doors. I mean, that's it. Yeah. And it's, I, you know, you come across some of these individuals every so often where it's like they, you, you almost get scared. When someone tells you they can do multiple things, Mm -hmm. I look at them almost with a slanted eye because it's like, well, how good are you really (laughs) at all of these things you say you can do? Whereas when you hearken back, there are some of those guys, as she's mentioning, that literally could do so many different things because they would take the time to learn it, to understand it, and make sure they were happy with what they did. They were the guys that painted the back of the cabinet or stained the back of the cabinet, even though it was going against the wall <laughs> and you would never yep. see it. Whereas it's built now where you do three sides because it's going against the wall and nobody would ever see the back. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, would you agree? It's those type of oh, individuals. Totally.
2: totally. Yeah. And, and can I throw in another point about this? And yep. which is, um, you know, construction is one industry. You can absolutely not outsource. I don't, I don't believe that robots are going to take over, uh, <laughs> ever, but, you know the fact Mm. that we've sort of um dumbed down the labor pool means that then you know middle class americans don't want those jobs but it used to be a terrific source of incredible you know um well-paying stable jobs and i tell you plumbers make more than i do and so the fact (laughs) that people aren't going into the trade
3: absolutely true it's
2: a huge problem and, you know, there's a I think there's a PR problem here yep. uh, and there's a building industry problem here.
0: I, and- I, I love that you're hitting all this because it is a big piece for us these days out here that we're pushing with the high schools and everybody because because go back to you know, apprentice and dreaming and everything else, that was their college experience. You know what I mean? And not everybody's built to go be an architect. I'm not, you know, it's a hard thing. not everybody
2: has to go to college. No,
0: and there's, and I have, I I know it because I see it. A lot of our guys make a damn good living. And I'm looking at some of these, I'm going to look at you because you went to SC and I think of it all the time. Not you, (laughs) but SC. They go to SC and I'm like, you are never going to pay that back. Like you are (laughs) never going to get that money that you think you're going to get out of there. Whereas I've got guys that are killing it out in the field, doing hard work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doing hard work, but making a great living in comparison. So
2: making a great living, and like I love working with my hands. Create like when you're when you're making yeah. something, you have a satisfaction of like Amen. I made that. Amen. You know, it, you feel good about the work that you did. Do we get you know, to? Are, are we gonna
0: post a video of like how fired up she is right now <laughs> saying this stuff? Like yeah. they don't get to see that. So
1: yeah, no, we'll we'll definitely post this as well uh, yeah. in segments.
3: I want to ask about your projects. You have nine projects that you're showcasing on your website. I imagine you have more than just the nine that you've done in your time as
2: as a friend. Oh yeah, yeah um, that's
3: So, of the nine that our viewer, or our viewers, our <laughs> listeners could could go look at, what is maybe I guess your favorite and why? But then also, what is kind of the best example of those projects that really utilized slow space movement? So,
2: there's two projects that I would like to point people to and one is um is a very tiny little project it's the warming hut yeah um, I saw that, that we did for a competition in winnipeg and this these were temporary structures that get pulled out onto the river which freezes solid um in winter and people skate on it they have this eight mile long skating trail yeah. and um it's pretty cool And like thousands of people are out there skating, you know, so they have these um, warming huts along the way where you can stop and um, literally warm up. Although many of the designs are very more like futuristic and out there, you couldn't actually get warm in them. But we felt that actually warming up was an important uh, feature. So (laughs) (laughs) so this this is really a sort of um, a very elemental slow space. So it's inspired by like small little huts, by tents, teepees, fishing huts, all kinds of uh, small little structures, smokehouses. That was what we called it. Um, a, a small building out in the middle of nowhere where <clears throat> you, um, you have to bend down in order to, in order to get into it. You mm-hmm. come inside. The outside is all clad in um, charred cedar. Um so charring it um is an ancient Japanese technique of preserving wood. You're literally burning it and we literally just roasted them over uh an open fire um in a big metal um barrel to to seal the wood. And then the inside we layered with panels of wool felt. 100% raw um you know white wool felt which is a natural um obviously a natural insulator it's a natural air barrier it's naturally resistant to um fire and things like that and so that's the inside they were kind of like the pelts hanging inside the yeah. trapper's lodge it kind looks of like a-
0: layer on layer
2: layer on layer yeah and so and then you, you so you crawl inside and you're inside there and then like and then there's a big uh opening in the roof above so It's an open air structure, so the snow's coming in, the rain's coming in. You let the uh, let the air ventilate out of the top, and then the shadows come in, and it's just a little moment of pause and peace and warming up. And then you don't know who else is going to be in there, you know. (laughs) So okay, hi, and then you have a little chat for a few minutes, and then you're on your way. So that I think is kind of perfectly summarizes the the um, the more ephemeral notion of slow space.
3: Uh, Yeah, that's awesome.
2: Okay. Yeah. I love um, the comment so, that you
3: said the room has a unique sound or absence thereof.
2: Exactly. And we all know so how quiet. comforting
3: that can be when you go into like a sound room and it's just, you, you almost can feel yourself hmm. and hear yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hear your own heartbeat. I can't yeah. I can't go yep. there then. <laughs> that's not good.
0: <laughs> I i was really... Are, were you going to go to... No, project? I was going
3: to... She was going to say her second project that I'm, I'm curious. Oh, that's right. I'm literally
2: on the edge of my seat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Perfect posture.
2: So the second project... Um, has you know has all of those design goals as well it's the modern texas prefab i'm
0: so glad you're bringing that one up because that's what i wanted to hear about all right
2: okay so that one the way we built it um started to it acts as a prototype for us in our minds of how we you know how we're building current projects and future projects and how we want to build so there we worked with um we worked with a company out of New Hampshire called Bensonwood, and they're historically a timber frame company. So that's how they started. Um, and then they started doing panelized prefab wall systems. So the, the structure for the, for the building was all um, heavy timber, detailed in a very modern way, that's what it looks um, like, yeah. and uh, prefabricated in their factory in New Hampshire and then shipped to Texas. But then the the wall panels themselves were also prefabricated and they their values align so closely with ours that they use all plant-based materials so um, you know very careful about the kind of insulation they use the kind of sheathing they use everything um, and uh, which leads to a very very um, tight envelope building envelope. Um, So in terms of um, air infiltration, we got like near passive house standards, you know, just from the prefabrication of it. And then it also has a really, really great indoor air quality because you've got all plant based materials in your wall system. Um, And so that's really become a benchmark for us for our um, construction techniques. Um, In addition to the fact that, you know, we get higher quality, more cost predictability and um, faster construction time.
0: Now, did they did they factory build these?
2: Yep. So, the so
0: in a warehouse, they just panelized, just like a lot of the const- like because that's being looked at a lot right now, right? Yep. In yep. in multiple industries, and I think even finally the production industry is starting to take more notice of that. Um, I and but that, I think it's really interesting. One quick question on one of the details: um, when you're looking at what I'm assuming is like the living room where you've got the stone fireplace. Yeah um, on the picture on the website to the right side, the wall almost looks like, I'm not sure if it's just, I don't know if it's drywall or not, but whatever the, the wall material is stops short of the bottom by like a foot or two feet. Is that, yeah,
2: and it's got that ankle window.
0: So, so explain that. Yeah. So ankle is that, window, so is that yes. a window? So yeah. Explain what that, cause it almost looks like it's open to the outside environment only because you can't zoom in enough. Right. So, so is it just a light detail? Is that what we're going for? Or
2: it's a window. Yeah. So we call it an ankle window. So it's a low window that's south facing. So okay. we wanted to prevent a lot of heat gain from that side, but still have a little peek into the huh. open courtyard that's just filled with white river stones. Yeah. Um, and so because the structure, um, the structure and the walls are decoupled. So the structure is right. the timber frame. Correct. And so the walls then uh, I can't remember what the detail is, but, you know, it's it's being held up uh like pulling up your skirt a little your long skirt no kidding. Right? yeah okay yeah. because all because a bit, because the structure
0: a the structure is there. basically <laughs> just the all the weight is on the timber frame is what you're saying so that's yes, more or less exactly. just cladding if you will
3: so how high does yeah. that window go be on the
2: on the outside of the drywall that we can't see it's about the same it's you know the windows about maybe 18 to two two feet 18 inches okay. to 24 oh, okay high. okay
0: that's because i love that yeah, that's so basically really neat. yeah so basically it takes the the house is blocking out the heat where traditionally that heat would come in through the upper windows that's getting baked by the sun longer right yep. and this is just allowing light I, I think that's actually super cool
2: now are you yeah, doing it, it brings the light in without yeah. everything else and it's uh
0: and, and it's just an even interesting visual detail and of its exactly. own exactly yeah
3: is your company doing interior design as well as in, in, in terms of furnishings and wall coverings and drapes and things of that nature?
2: Yes, we do. Uh, we do do that. Not for every one of our projects. We didn't do it for that one, but we've done it for others. And we do have an in-house interior designer. So we do want to integrate architecture, interiors, and construction into one wow. holistic, uh, one-stop shop. Very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Love that.
1: Thank you very much, Meta. Uh, this was... Uh, Amazing conversation that that stretched out to a lot more than I expected. Uh, But Before we let you go, Uh what we're going to do with our guests this year is a little segment that we call, What Was That Like?
3: What was it like when you hired your first employee beyond just you and your husband?
2: So we started out um, just working out of our home uh, and uh, we we got a second big project and we knew we needed to hire someone. So part of that was also um, needing to find a space outside of the home because we didn't want anyone coming to our place. <laughs> um, and so with hiring your first employee, it actually kind of ups the ante on a ton of things across the board um, because so we had to think about office space. Then you got to think about uh, having a payroll system. You got to think about workers comp and um, other types of insurance. And you know, I felt like it didn't really matter if we were hiring one or 20 employees, like no, a whole doesn't. bunch of things just, um, you know, just were suddenly on the table that weren't there before. Yeah. Um, and it, I know it's a big, uh, it's a scary move for a lot of small businesses, you know, when to take that leap. And at some point you just have to, you just cross the line and you just have to do it. And then, and then you're set, you set those things up. Um, and so, yeah, that was a big, you know, it came in rapid succession with just founding our company to try to decide what kind of entity to, um, to establish and then quickly needing to hire people. And, um, but that definitely ratcheted things up a lot. Um, having to hire. Is your
3: first employee still with you?
2: No, no, okay. we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't do such a great job on the first one. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of learning on the hiring side. Oh, that's a that's whole nother
3: challenge. Yeah, yeah we can do a whole podcast, podcast on yeah. that. <laughs> that's hilarious. Then,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, then you can have a podcast on firing your first employee. <laughs> oh, gosh. I that can't. was easy. Yeah. No, it's not easy. That's no, no. not easy. No. That was
0: easy. Sorry. Yeah. We're just different types of souls. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah any other uh social media or anything you want to plug
2: sure um we have facebook pages and i'm on twitter um at meta omat um let's see i'm on linkedin and that kind of stuff
1: and meta is m-e-t-t-e yes is, is there any instagram instagram oh you yeah get...
2: instagram okay. too yep i think it's under my name meta omat on at instagram
1: okay thank you so much meta we really appreciate Thank you, you guys. Janice. This
2: is a fun conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah it was. Definitely. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you again to Meta. You can find out more about Omont Plum at omontplum.com. That's A A M O D T P L U M B.com. And more on Slow Space at slowspace.org. And thank you again for hanging out with us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And while you're there, please rate, like the show, and forward a link to your friend. Your support is the only way that the show grows. Don't forget to check out spacespodcast.com for more info. But before you go, next time on Spaces Podcast.
3: You know really what we're talking about a dispensary is a pharmacy yeah but it's a pharmacy with a lot of stigma around it yeah
1: so that's that's the big hurdle is the stigma and once you know once we national i don't know if we'll ever nationally get over it but you know once that hurdle is kind of climbed in i think a lot of this will start to evolve a lot faster